Let me pray for our time together. Father, as we study your word this morning, help us to see your grace in our lives. Help us to come to your word hungry and yearning for more of you. Help us to lay aside our worldly cares and find that our hope and refuge is in you alone. May your spirit direct us and give us understanding. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As a teenager, I was pretty adventurous and spontaneous, and I loved the outdoors. I loved hiking and exploring, and what I would do, because I was familiar with a lot of the hiking paths in my area, I would find new pathways to get to where I was supposed to, uh, to get to the end of the trail. And so one day while I was camping with extended family, um, myself along with a few of my cousins, we got up very early and so we decided, hey, why don't we go for a hike and then come back uh, so that we can make it in time for breakfast. And so we thought, oh, there's a bay that is about two miles away. Let's go and find this bay and see what it looks like. We were all unfamiliar with this hiking trail, but we, like young boys do, we decided to go. And like young boys do, we decided that our path was the best path to go. And so we made our own little path through the forest to look for this bay. And on the way, we didn't realize how long it would take us to get there. So as we trekked, hour comes by, an hour comes by, and it wasn't until we were stuck in a swamp up to our waist with water and mud everywhere that we had realized that we were lost. We did not know where we were going, and me being the older one decided, it's no problem, we'll, we'll, we'll get out of here, don't worry about it. Um, one of the cousins had lost his shoe in that swamp, and so he was going barefoot, and yet we were on our way. It wasn't until maybe about an hour or so later, almost by noon now, that we, had, we were starting to worry. Um, and thankfully, by God's grace, there was a pathway that you could drive up to the, see the bay. And so we found that pathway, and we're like, okay, well, let's just, let's just take this way. And we saw that a truck was approaching, and in that truck were all of our fathers. And they were looking for us. And we knew we were in big, big trouble. <laughs> if you have ever found yourself to be lost, it is truly a frightening experience. But being found was such a wonderful experience. Even though we knew how much trouble we were going to be in, Seeing the angry faces of our dads was the best thing for us in that moment. And so it is the same with our passage today. We hear a parable from Jesus about a prodigal son who was very much lost and needed to be found. Jesus tells this parable in the context in this context, he tells the par this parable to the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling against him. They were wondering, they were frustrated because Jesus was eating with tax collectors and he was eating with sinners, the outcasts of society. 
Why would a, front, why would a righteous man eat with these people? And so Jesus tells them three parables, one of them being the parable that we're going to look at today. But he tells them three parables showing them their own lostness and their own need for Christ. And so this, although the story is titled The Parable of the Prodigal Son, it's not a story about one lost son, but it is a story of two sons who are lost. And therefore, the title of this sermon is A Compassionate Father and His Two Lost Sons. So we'll, we'll read through the parable together, and then I will, I will offer observations about the characters, and then we'll look at some lessons that we can learn about ourselves and about our Heavenly Father. So Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your sons, your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. 
And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus starts this parable mentioning a father and his two sons. And the younger, the younger son comes to the father with a startling request. He asks his father for a portion of the inheritance that would have been his had his father passed away. And this is shocking because in the Jewish custom, in the Jewish custom children would not receive their inheritance before their father passed away. And so the act of the younger son in asking his father for his inheritance was a sign of deep disrespect and rebellion to his father. To make a request like this was to wish that the father was dead. And if we look closely at the relationship between the father and the younger son, we see that the younger son only seeks to benefit from his father's wealth. He has no desire to live under his father or to be obedient to his father. He wants his inheritance, and he wants it now, so that he can go and do what he pleases, paying no attention to his father at all. Just as noteworthy, though, is the response of the father. Even though the son makes this startling request to his father, the father's response is just as startling. In this context, it would have been more likely for the father to respond by punishing his son or by abandoning his son altogether. But the father doesn't do that. Instead, The father does exactly what the son desires, and so he goes and divides his property. The Greek word for property here is bios, which means life. So so in order for the father to sell off his property, it meant that he had to tear apart his life. He had to tear apart his own livelihood so that he could give it to his sons. Notice also that he gives the inheritance to both of his sons. And so in Jewish customs, it was right for the father, for the the older son to receive a double portion of the land. And so in this case, the father would have divided his land between the two sons, giving two-thirds of that land to, of that property, to the oldest son and and giving the remaining one-third to the younger son. We'll circle back to that later, but it's important for us to know why the father does this. The father loves his son, and so he gives his son the inheritance that would be his. And so the son continues in his rebellion by journeying to a far country to squander away his property and reckless living. And that is why he is called a prodigal son. Prodigal here means to spend recklessly, to be wasteful in your spending. This son, he 
travels to a far country so that he could run away from his father without no accountability around him so that he can live a life that he has always wanted to live. After the younger son spends all that he has in this far-off country, a severe famine arose, and he began to be in need. And so he hires himself out to be one of the citizens of the country, to be a slave and work by feeding pigs, which was considered unclean in Jewish custom. This is not something that you would do. One moment he is living in luxury, and in another moment he is in a pigsty. And in this dirty pigsty, while he is starving, he comes to a point of realization. Read again in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Since he has disgraced himself, his plan to ensure that he would no longer suffer is to then hire himself to be one of his father's servants that it would be better for him in this case to serve rather than to be a son. The foolish son no longer sees himself as a son because he has no right to. Instead, he is a servant who must work his way to pay off his debt to his father. And so after much rehearsal and planning, he arose and he goes to his father. So here we learn of the lostness of the younger son. His rebellion against his father and taking his inheritance and squandering it away only to then come to the realization that it would have been better for him to be in his father's house. As the younger son approaches, notice a few things about the father. That even though the son is a far ways off, the father sees him and immediately runs toward his son. The father sees the son even before the son sees the father. And he lifts up his robes and he runs, which is not characteristic of elderly Jewish men. But you can feel the compassion, and the love of the father sprinting towards his foolish son. And he embraces his son and kisses him. This response by the father in the eyes of the audience, of, of Jesus' audience, would be considered outrageous for a, for, a, for a son to rebel against his father in such a way and then for the father to accept him with no consequences. Most fathers would not give a warm welcome like this. Most fathers would say, you are no longer my son. Who are you? Why do you come to my doorstep? 
most fathers would not embrace and kiss their sons. I know that was true of me when I was lost. I didn't get kisses or hugs. But this father loved his son despite that. What is absolutely striking, though, is that the father embraces and kisses his son even before the son confesses to his sins. Think about that. Even before the son has time to apologize, the father has already forgiven him. The father already loves him. The father isn't looking for a confession. He merely wants his son home. He loves his son despite all that he has done. This, the, the way that the father acts is so radical. To think that the father knows all the sins of his son and yet still welcomes him home and embraces him. But not only that, but he clothes him with the best robe in the house and he orders the fattened calf to be slaughtered, signifying that his son is now restored. This is no, this is no slave. This is no servant. He is a son. He has a rightful place in their family. He is reinstated as the rightful heir, and the relationship between the father and son that was severed by the son's act of disobedience has now been restored through the love of the father. You see, the son, the father, had no intention of having his son work his way as a slave. In fact, we see that this part was rehearsed by the son, right? He was rehearsing, I'm going to tell my father that I'm going to slave. But the father has no intention of the son doing that. Here, it seems like the father is dismissive of the son, the son's confession. It seems like the father doesn't really care that the son is confessing and that he's just blindly accepting the son. And it's important for us to note the great compassion of the father here. And we'll circle back to this, uh, to this confession of the son. But see the love that God has, that the, God the Father has for his children. It's easy to love children when they are obedient, right? Parents, I'm not a parent, but I would assume so. It's easy to love children when they're obedient. It is hard to love children when they are disobedient. And this father does so. What amazing grace. And that is why this father, I believe, is the main character of the story. Sons will act like, like sons. We know that. I have a younger brother, so I know that. <laughs> but this father acts in, in a complete different way than a normal father would act. He loves regardless of the sins of the son. What a great story of redemption and we could all stop there and say, that is a great story. But the story does not end because there is another son. And so Jesus reintroduces the older son, the older brother, 
And so the older brother comes home after a long day working in his father's field, and he hears of his younger brother's return, and what is his reaction? He is furious. He is upset. Whereas the father responds in affection and compassion for the younger son, the older son son responds in anger. He answers his father saying, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, you killed the fan calf for him. Basically, he's saying that all these years... I've worked with you. I've worked for you. I've been the responsible one. I've been the obedient one. Yet, I received no recognition. But this reckless, this shameless son returns, and you throw him the biggest party that this house has ever seen? In his eyes, this isn't right. In his eyes, he's superior to his younger brother. Because he wasn't the one who took his property and squandered it. He wasn't the one who spent it away recklessly. And he should be the one that receives the party, not the younger brother. He is the one who has worked hard, and he is the one who deserves the father's attention, affection, and love. This reaction by the older brother is an insult to the father. Notice how he says, look. Instead of addressing his father as my father, he says, look, you. The older disrespects his father as the highest authority in the household by not addressing him properly, by not attending the celebration, and by making the father leave his guests to attend to him. So at first glance, it looks like the younger, younger son is more at fault than the older son. And the older son has the right to be angry. However, we have to remember that Jesus tells this parable specifically to the Pharisees and the scribes, reminding them that God views sin completely different than how they would view it. Although the acts of the younger son were clearly sinful, the moralistic, righteous acts of the older brother were just as sinful and hypocritical because of his pride. The older brother only worked for his father so that he could benefit for himself. We can see that when we see the true intentions in in the text. He says, I want to celebrate with my friends. I want to kill the young goat and celebrate with my friends. So actually, the heart of the older brother is just like the younger brother. He wants to live as he chooses, apart from the family, but he does this in trying to act obediently to his father. He thinks that by working hard for his father, he can then go and live however he pleases, that he can do whatever he wants without the father. Although the son, the older son, is close to the father in proximity, he is just as alienated as the younger son. 
So it is true here that we see two lost sons, two sons that are utterly lost. But notice again the father's response. The father demonstrates great patience with the older son and reasons with him to join the celebration. He doesn't want to lose this son as well. He pleads with the son, there is a great reason why we must celebrate, even though the son is angry. It's interesting where this story ends because we don't see what the older son does next. Jesus doesn't tell us that part. We don't get to see whether he reconciled with the father or with his younger brother. It seems like Jesus is purposely leaving the end open for us to see the response of the Pharisees and the scribes. We don't, as the story continues, we don't get to see that. But let us consider how we should respond to a story such as this. There are three ways I believe we should respond to this parable. First, let us recognize the lostness of the human heart, that our hearts are always prone to wander away from God, that our hearts always yearn for our own benefit and not the Lord's. This parable shows us the lostness of our hearts through the younger son because he desires the pleasures of this world. And sometimes we are no different. We, desires the, we desire the nice things of this world. We desire those things that we cannot have. There was a time, even in our own lives, probably we can recount when we ran away from God, chasing after our own dreams, chasing after our own pleasures. But the reality is that the riches we seek will always run dry. And our stomachs, no matter how much we eat, will always become empty. And we will face the harshness of this world. And for some, that will bring us to a place where we can understand that nothing satisfies except for the Lord. For others, they will continue in that lostness. The parable shows us also that the older son is no different from the younger son because his heart is filled with pride and anger. He refuses to accept his younger brother back, and he ridicules his father for his act of love. He is unable to appreciate all that he has. This shows us that we can be moralistic, doing all the right things, being a religious person, living the right way, following all of God's commands, but still be utterly lost because we have no true and lasting relationship with the Father. We have to remember that proximity to God is not the same as knowing Him through a relationship that is grounded in humble submission and obedience to Him. God is not a scorekeeper. He doesn't keep counts of what you have done right so that you can then be rewarded later. And I'm sure that this story may resonate with a lot of us because that's how we came to be saved. We were once that prodigal son 
or we were once that older son, you and me. But we may say, well, I'm no longer lost. I've, I've been found. Christ has found me. I am saved through Christ. And yes, that may be true for a lot of us, but let us consider that there are still parts of our hearts that long to be like the younger son, that long to be like the older son. Many of us still have tendencies like the sons that are lost. We have tendencies to be like the younger son when we overlook the grace of God and continue on in our sin. When we see all the pleasures, all the great things that God has given us, and yet we go and squander it away. We go and live like that does not matter to us. Even though we are saved by grace, there are still moments when we slip back into the sins of our old lives. So the warning is for us to, is to watch for those things. As, a, as prodigal sons, it is easy for us to slip back into those old habits and those old sins. But we shouldn't live in those ways anymore because the son that was dead is now alive. Some of us have tendencies to be like the older brother who, not, who does right only so that he could gain for himself, who has this attitude that I don't need to repent, that I am better than that person, that I'm a better Christian than the other guy sitting right there. Some of us are more concerned about the lost property than about the younger brother. For those who feel this way, we must ask ourselves, do we want the Father's wealth or do we want the relationship with the Father? Because we can see that the Lord is wealthy. But do we want a relationship with Him or do we want what He has to offer us? Just like these sons. It causes us to, to think about the relationship that we have with our Lord. Do we delight in him simply because he is our Lord, our Savior? Or do, we light, or do we delight in him because we have much? Has our relationship with him just become a list of to-dos and keeping up appearances? Or do we have joy in our service to the Lord? Think of these things because it's easy for us to fall into the tendencies of these older brothers, of this older brother, to think that if I've done, that I did everything right, so God owes me. I deserve this from the Lord. Let us think of this as a church. Do we have that older son mentality? Do we look down on others because they are different from us or because they don't fit in our circles? And do we embrace those who are lost, who need grace and mercy? Right? It's so easy for Christians to be labeled as 
a Pharisee, right? Someone as a Pharisee who just stands and condemns and judges everyone. Let that not be us. Let us be like the Father who shows compassion and love for the lost. So as we recognize our lostness of our own hearts, we turn to the second lesson that we learned here is that we then look to the magnificent grace of our Heavenly Father. If we see the lostness of our own hearts, that leaves us with no hope. But we are not left without hope because we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. Notice how both sons are cherished by the Father simply because they are His sons. The father's response to the younger son shows that he has been thinking of him all along. He sees the son uh, far off, meaning that he's been looking for his son. He's been wanting his son to return. His quick embrace, his action of quickly running to his son shows that his love was always constant for his son, that his forgiveness is total and immediate. All throughout the story, never once is the son considered anything but a son. All throughout the story, he is a son, regardless of where he has gone. It is the youngest son's return and not his confession that makes reconciliation with the father possible. It's important for us to remember that. As we return to the Lord, he is ready to forgive us. He's ready to show compassion to us. And yes, compassion, or yes, repentance and confession is part of that process, but it is not the means by which we are saved. It is simply through the Father's love. It is His grace first that causes our hearts to repent, to confess. The work of salvation is a work that God does from beginning to end. He is the one who pursues us. He is the one who makes a way for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember how the Father embraces the Son and restores Him while making it seem like he was ignoring the son's confession. This son had spent all of his property, and yet the father gives no consequences. And this, this part of the parable is not mentioned, but it's something that we should consider. If we look at the other two parables that are in Luke 15, we see the same thing, that something was lost and it is found, and there is much rejoicing and celebration. The thing that Jesus leaves out here is that no one goes out to search for the son. In the first parable, the shepherd leaves the 99, and he goes to save, or he goes to save the sheep. In the second parable, the woman sweeps the house looking for the lost coin, and in this parable, We don't get that. We don't see someone go out to search for the son. It is almost as if Jesus is asking the question, who should have gone 
to look for the lost son? Who should have gone to look for that son? I think it should have been the older brother. It should have been him. A true older brother would not have, would have gone to bring back the, the lost brother regardless of the cost. Since the father has split the inheritance between them, it was true, that what, the fa- it was true what the father said, that everything I have now belongs to you. Every robe, every ring, every fattened calf, that portion belonged to the older son. Therefore, when he gives that away to the younger son, he has taken it away from the older son. And the older son should have rejoiced in this. He should have been happy that his younger son, that his younger brother was back. And he should have done, and he should have done everything at no expense to him to bring this, old, this younger brother back to him. And this is true for us in Christ Jesus, who is the true son, who is a true older brother, who is the one who, although he had everything, although he had everything from the Father, chose to search for us, chose to come and seek the lost, as Luke 19 tells us. Jesus represents the true older brother who would come to carry the weight and sins of his younger brother, of us. In the Hmong language, it's interesting. I was just thinking about this this morning, that there there are words that distinguish older son and younger son. So we don't call like, you know, older or brothers or older brother, younger brother. That's how... It's said in English. But in Hmong, when you, when you say this specific word, someone knows whether you are the older one or the younger one. And so the older son we called Tilao, which basically means that he is the first one. He is the elder. So, all, so my younger brother and my younger siblings, they would know me as their Tilao. And I am the oldest, so I am a Tilao. The younger sons, they are called Gu. And so when someone says, or, or when someone asks you where you stand, you can, by saying whether you're a tilao or a gu, it shows us that you are either the older son or the younger son. And so my brother is my gu. And gu means to carry. It means that he is the one that is carried. And so the the job, the responsibility of the older brother is to carry the younger brothers along, to carry the younger brothers. And what a beautiful picture of an older brother who carries his, who knows his responsibility as the, the older brother and carries his brothers along. The most wonderful part, too, is that Jesus is often referred to as friend, right? In the Bible, Jesus is referred to as friend. And in the Hmong translation, Jesus is referred to as gu luo, which has that word gu in it, which it doesn't mean that Jesus is a younger brother. It means that Jesus carries the younger one. 
that Jesus is the friend who comes alongside to carry, signifying that he carries our cross. He carries the cross for us. Painting a full circle that Jesus is the one who carries the weight of our sin. He is the one who seeks us out, bringing us back into the family. The Father loves sinners. He loves those who are lost. Just as Jesus loved being with the tax collectors and loved eating with the sinners because they knew that they were lost. They knew that they needed him. But the father also loves the older son who was prideful and angry. And it is, more, it is so amazing to see that in this parable, it seems like Jesus is extending an invitation to the Pharisees and the scribes, calling them to respond to this parable. They're the ones who studied the scriptures, memorized it daily. They're the ones who knew the Bible inside and out, and yet they were the ones who failed to see the love of the God, a love of the Father in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is extending this invitation to them. Don't be like this older brother. Instead, see who the true older brother is. Jesus loved the Pharisees, and so the most loving thing he could tell them was that they were living in rebellion against God. That even in their moralist action, moralistic actions, their duty towards God, they were still living apart from God. The Father's love reminds us that when we feel the crumbling weight of our sin, we can be assured that if we repent and arise and go to the Father, that he will run to us with open arms, ready to accept us, ready to hold us. Sometimes we, like the younger son, we expect too little of God, right? We reason with ourselves, if, if only I did this, then perhaps God will accept, well, perhaps our, my father will accept me as a servant, we reason with ourselves in that way. But the Lord surprises us. We go to him expecting crumbs, but instead he gives us a feast. His love goes beyond our expectation. If we go to him, he is ready to receive us. So no matter how far you feel like you have fallen, remember that the Father is ready to receive you, ready to receive you warmly. The Father's love also reminds us to be humble. When we feel as if we have lived a perfect life, a sinless life, that, and that we deserve to have the blessing of God, we should remember that everything we have is a gift from God. And that should humble us deeply. Like what if we lived as if all the sufferings and the trials that we endured in this world were a blessing from God? Because in them we know that he is drawing closer, us closer to him 
to be more dependent on him, to love him more, to know him better. It doesn't ease that suffering. It doesn't ease that pain. But if anything, it should humble us to know that I don't deserve this. I don't deserve the grace that is shown to me today. Because if we truly got what we deserved, we would have nothing. We would owe more. And so what must we do? Tim Keller quotes this thing. We must repent of the things we have done wrong. But if that is all you do, you may remain just an elder brother. To truly become Christians, we must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. We must learn how to repent of the sin under all our other sins and under all our righteousness, the sin of seeking to be our own Savior and Lord. Watch out for the ways that you may sin in your hearts while performing righteous acts. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with the Father, I would like you to consider both these sons. Both are lost. Both need salvation. But only one of those sons knows that he is lost. The other does not. One son had to experience all the harshness of life to come to a point of realization that he needed the Father. The other had everything he needed and yet had no desire to turn to the Father. Don't let that be the case for you. Don't be stuck in your pride. Recognize your lostness and your need for Savior. There's only one perfect son. I promise you that's not you or I. It is the Lord Jesus, and only he can take away your sin, reinstating you as a true heir, as a rightful heir. And if you're here today and you have placed your faith in Christ, then remember that God continues to seek us out. That God continues to seek us out when it seems like we are slipping, that we are falling into temptation. That God continues to seek us out even in our own righteousness, our own moralistic deeds. That whether through dramatic means such as running to us and embracing us and kissing us or having patient discussions, reasoning with us, he is working to draw us closer to him. He is working to draw you closer to him. And so consider how the Lord is doing that in your life. In all three of the parables, there is much rejoicing. And so finally, our last lesson, we rejoice in the salvation of the lost. As sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, we should live with much joy and contentment in our hearts because we were once dead and now we are alive. We were once lost and now we are found. Let us rejoice in that. Let us set aside all judgments and all bitterness in our hearts towards others and let us rejoice. Let us rejoice 
in our own salvation, but also let us rejoice in seeing the lost come to Christ. That should give us great joy, great pleasure to know that God still seeks out the lost, that he brings him to himself. As we look to the new year, let us be grateful for what the Lord has revealed to us in his word. We can walk out of here today and simply say, wow, that was a touching story, Jesus. That was a good job. And be unchanged by the truths found in the story. Or we can come to, the, come to grips with the sobering truth that God seeks out the lost. And you and I are like sheep that are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. Yet his love has made a way for us to come back to him. So may he receive all glory and honor for this love. Let us pray.